Good and gracious God, we, we come through this time of communion where you've opened our hearts to you and we have been reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, we, um, we ask you to come into our circumstances of our lives. Show us the places where we need to grow closer to you. And forgive us if there are areas that we are wandering away from you. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for never giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I returned today from a couple weeks off on a, kind of the first leg of a sabbatical journey of sorts and uh, had the chance to take a trip that would knock off some things on my bucket list of life, if you will, right? So for one thing, uh, for a long time, Dream and I have wanted to see the Grand Canyon. And, um, I, you know, I know you might not think this about me, but I'm not in the best of shape in the world. And so I wanted to go when it was cool and not when it was hot. And I said, if we go on fall break, it should be great. I was thinking like 65 degrees in the South Rim. Yeah, you know that's not how it went down. I was there in the middle of a snowstorm, three and a half inches of snow and 26 degrees. It was amazing. But the views were spectacular. Another thing that I always wanted to do that we had kind of said, I, I, when I was a boy, I was in Colorado Springs, and we wanted to go up to the top of Pikes Peak on the cog rail. I was excited about it. And uh, the day that we chose to go up there, it was about 65 degrees in the springs down the valley, and um, we got on that cog to go to the top, and some of you have done this before. Yeah, it was 16 degrees at the top, and uh, the wind was blowing over 100 miles an hour as a storm blew in, and they had blizzard conditions. I could see about 12 feet in front of my face from America's mountain. That's all I saw. And to make matters worse than that, although I had always dreamt this would be a wonderful thing to be on top of Pikes Peak, for the first time in my life, I experienced 100% bona fide altitude sickness. And it was the most miserable 30 minutes of my life. It was horrible up there. Don't you hate it when something you think is going to be great turns out to be completely awful? I couldn't wait to get down off that. In fact, I prayed, Lord, if you get me off this mountain, I'll never come back up here again. <laughs> I testify to the Lord, he got me down. Thank God. Well, things don't always turn out the way we think they're going to turn out. One of the things about vacations is they reveal a lot about choices, right? Choices are, everything on a trip is a choice. You, you make a choice on your route. Sometimes we chose good routes and sometimes not so good. Choices about where you're going to stay, the same. Most of the trip went great, but one night we ended up next to, uh, in between two AAU high school basketball teams. It wasn't a very good night's sleep that night. Choices matter. You know that's true. You can think about your life, and you can think about some of the best choices you ever made, and sadly, we have moments we think about some of our worst, too, and choices matter. One of the things that happens in life is that sometimes there are people around us who make choices, and they may choose us or they may not choose us, and sometimes we've tasted the bitter fruit of rejection when we didn't get picked or chosen, and other times, even if you're the person who's chosen, it's not such a great thing. Some in this room once got a letter that said, hey, your friends and neighbors have chosen you to go to war. And you answered a draft call letter. Chosen. It's an interesting thing to be chosen. And it's a painful thing to not get the choice that we want sometimes. 
Think for a moment with me through the book of Genesis as a means of entering into this new series. Let's just think about Genesis for a second. We have Adam and Eve chosen by God, created by God at the very beginning, chosen for this really beautiful relationship where God comes down in the evening, he talks to them, he teaches them, he instructs them about life and sets them up for success. And he didn't put the trees there uh, because he wanted them to be tripped up or to create this conundrum. I think they had a purpose in being in the garden. But Adam and Eve weren't ready for that yet. It wasn't something that God was ready to share with them. They hadn't reached that maturity. They hadn't come to the place where that was something that was for them just yet. So he set some parameters out there. And God's choice was to give Adam and Eve the ability to make choices too. See, he could have made creation like Greg Surenkamp's Model Railroads. He could have. Model Railroads are great. They're beautiful. I mean, when you do it right, it's a cool thing. And you can, well, one person decides where all the trains go and how they move and which switches get thrown. It's a neat thing to watch. God could have made creation that way. Bunch of robots that do exactly what God wanted all the time. But he didn't think that was the best way to give his creation life. So he gave us choice. Choice. We can choose to follow him. We can choose to not follow him. We can choose to obey him. We can choose to disobey him. Of course, Adam and Eve make some bad choices. They had consequences for them, and they had consequences for us. God continued to look for people that would choose him. And he found them. One of the more painful moments of history, and it comes early in Genesis, is the flood. God looks over the whole world and he says, who's choosing me? And he finds one man, a righteous man, Noah. A flawed man, has a problem with alcohol. He's a flawed man, has problems in his family. But God chooses Noah. And Noah chooses to obey God, to build an ark in a place where there probably had never even been a flood before. He's building a boat. It was remarkable. But Noah chose God. And you know how that story ends for Noah. And the world did not choose God. And you know how that ended for the world. After that, we come to the next character in Genesis. And Genesis is a book that's all about choices. That's what the whole book is about choices. God choosing, man choosing. It's all about choices. And it grieves the Lord again because very quickly, even after Noah, the earth becomes increasingly corrupt once again, and horrible things happen. So he says, I, I choose someone who's choosing me, Abraham. And Abraham answers God's call. And when God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to lead you to a new place. I'm going to create a holy nation through you. I'm going to create people who follow me, who love me through you and your descendants. Abraham follows God. He's 
Flawed, as you know, makes his own sets of mistakes. But he answers, and he chooses to go God's way. God chose him, and he chose God. Well, after that time, some incredible parts of the story, and we're almost to the part where we'll stop looking at Genesis, because this really isn't a sermon series about Genesis, but it is about choices. I want you to think about just a couple other characters. I want you to think forward in the story after Abraham. I want you to think to the time of Jacob's son, Joseph. Joseph's life is filled with choices, right? Young, arrogant, God has clearly chosen Joseph from a young age, and Joseph knows it. And he tells his brothers all about it, right? Hey, God chose me. You're going to bow down and worship me. Woohoo! <laughs> Which didn't go over so well for everyone else, but it went over great for Joseph until it didn't. And they threw him into a pit and they sold him as a slave. And then, as a slave, he gets falsely accused of rape. And then he goes to prison. And then the people who are the prison who should have helped him forget about him. And he wonders. I thought God chose me. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? And he almost comes to the point of despair until God raises him up and makes him the second most powerful man on the planet in his time. Chosen. Of course, that leads the children of Abraham to Egypt, which brings us to Moses. And Moses, too, has his own journey and comes to choose God, and God chooses him. That whole burning bush scenario is pretty exciting. And after Moses leads them out of Egypt, God says, I'm going to create a holy nation, a people, a holy people. And he chooses Aaron to lead the priest, a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, of of people who can access God. And God will work through the priests and the Levites. Well, you'll see why all that matters when we get into our other text this morning. And let's turn, if you would, I've given you the bulletin here. Let's turn our thoughts to the series Chosen. And on the cover, you'll see the, the, the theme verse for today. And I want us to think about this verse for a moment. And I think you'll see quickly how it ties into what we talked about in Genesis. Chosen. It is great to be chosen It is awesome to be chosen, and the point of this whole series is what does it mean to say God chose us? Some will ask the question, is he really choosing me? And I hope you can answer that question by the time these four weeks are over. The verse simply says this. This is Peter. (laughs) Peter was an unlikely choice, fiery temper a businessman, a fisherman, self-sufficient, sometimes reckless, passionate, opinionated. And God chose Peter. He didn't just choose him. He said, you're going to be like a cornerstone. You're going to be a rock of the church, a pillar. Unlikely choice. Peter, after Jesus has died, after Peter has denied him, after all those things have happened, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter has become the person he was chosen to be. And that's who writes these words to us. Probably 40 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter writes this letter. And as he writes it, he says to the people who are now Christians, 
like you and me. You are a chosen people. (laughs) That phrase showed up before. That phrase showed up with Abraham. You're going to be my chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. That phrase had showed up before. That's what he said to Aaron and his descendants. You are a holy nation. That's what he had said to Moses as he led them out. And this next phrase is amazing. You are God's special possession. Do you have a special possession at home? Is there something that you think of as valuable? I do have one thing that I, I've really kind of held on to through the years, and I'm glad I've held on to it. It's, it's kind of in my box of mementos of life. I, I don't even look at it every year, but, but I do look at it from time to time, just when I'm cleaning my closet, if nothing else, to be reminded of different things that have mattered in my life. There's a silver dollar in a little belt buckle that was given to me by my grandpa when I was probably about 12 years old. It's when silver dollars still had value. It's probably worth more than a dollar today. One of the old, what I call the big silver dollars. And when my grandpa gave it to me, he said to me, he said, I want to give you this. He says, I want you to wear this belt buckle because he said, if you have this belt on, and he showed me how I could get the dollar out if I had to, he said, you'll always have a dollar. And that might really help you someday. That's when a dollar must have really been valuable, right? <laughs> Not sure what you could do with a dollar today if you were in trouble. But my grandpa saw that as a way that you'd have something that could get you out of trouble or help you if you need to make a phone call, I guess. And that's what he saw it as. But to me, it's worth a lot more than a dollar. Because it was something that was important. It was a special possession to me. You probably have some things like that. They might not be something that seems valuable to anyone else, but it seems valuable to you. Well, I want you to get what Peter's saying. Peter is saying, you might not seem that special to anyone else, but to God, you're his special possession. He's keeping track of you. He's not letting you go. (laughs) He cares about you. You matter to him. He's checking in on you. You're a special possession. That you, while this happening, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A couple of things real quick. Key takeaways from the first day of the Chosen series. You have this handout here, and I'd like you to kind of take a look at it and follow through. And the first key concept that I want you to grab hold of is this simple phrase. You can mark this in there, write it down. It's simply this. God chooses us, but he's not stuck with us. I know that seems pretty simple, but but it's an important concept to what we're going to try to get to here. God chooses us, but he's not stuck with us. He didn't have to pick us. Uh, it wasn't like something that happened in my neighborhood growing up a lot. In my neighborhood, I had a friend. He was Korean. He was a really good kid. Uh, he was short. He was slight. He had had an injury to his hand when he was little, so his, one of his hands didn't work very well, uh, and it made it hard for him to catch a baseball. And I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, where the big red machine was winning World Series when I was a little boy, and baseball was king. And I lived on a circle. And on a circle drive, 
uh, when our dads all went to work, because most of our dads worked second shift, uh, and it was just all the kids, we would have baseball games almost every day. And I could be Johnny Bench or Pete Rose or Dave Concepcion or, or Joe Morgan or whoever it was. On the big, and we would, we, would, we would play baseball. And everyone loved it. It was great, except for my friend, Jimmy Kimmy. And Jimmy was always the last person picked. He would play, but he couldn't catch. Uh, he would play, but you just knew if he was on your team, it was going to be a problem. And everybody, it was always the same thing with poor Jimmy, right? It was always the same thing, all right? We'd start picking teams, and you knew if you didn't get to pick first, you knew immediately who was going to be on your team. You knew he was going to be the last person chosen. Well, I tell you that because everyone felt like they were stuck with poor Jimmy. Because he was my friend, it wasn't so bad to be stuck with Jimmy Kimmy. But that's not how God looks at you. He doesn't look like I'm stuck with you. Okay, you can be on my team. No one else wants you. I'll take you. It's not like that. In fact, Peter says, you're chosen like royalty. You're chosen like royalty. You're like my top pick. You're like, hey, you know, you're really important to me. You really matter. God chooses us. He's not stuck with us. He says you're chosen. You're royal. And here's a word that doesn't always fit us very well, does it? You're holy. In Christ, God sees us as holy. That's not how we see ourselves. We know our flaws, our bad hands, if you will. But that's not how God sees us. His chosen possession And he's not stuck with us, but he chooses us. And here's the second one. This is the harder of what it means to be God's special possession. And it's this concept. We are God's, and we are not our own. We are God's, but we're not our own. You see, when we say we are God's possession, we're saying he's the boss, he's in charge. He's God talking to Noah. Noah, go build a boat. And we say, yes, Lord, I'll build a boat. We are Abraham. When he says, Abraham, leave all that you've ever known for security and go to some place you have no clue about, we're Abraham, right? That's what he says. We belong to God. We'll do what God asks us to do. We'll go where he asks us to go. That's a big step. We're not our own. We are God's possession. And we are to do what he asks us to do. We are Moses, standing up against the power of Egypt, standing up against powers that oppress and enslave to bring freedom. Maybe it's not such a great thing to be God's possession because a lot of those things seem kind of scary and terrifying. So how did Abraham do it? And Noah do it? And Moses do it? All of them knew one thing. They all knew the God who chose them would not abandon them. The God who chooses you will not abandon you. 
he will be with you. In fact, Jesus said it over and over and over. Lo, I will be with you always. Always. Everything that we have ultimately comes from God. Everything that we are comes from God. We are his chosen ones. And ultimately, everything that we are and everything we have, it all belongs to God because we are his. We are bought with a price, and we are not our own. Paul, Peter, and John, three of the apostles who wrote so much of the New Testament, all agree on this point. We are slaves, servants. We are the humble followers of a God who is our Lord and our Master and our Savior. We are chosen people. The question before us then, if, if you ask a simple thing, if, if I ask you to fill in the blank at the bottom and say, does God choose me? I, I hope the answer is resoundingly yes. The evidence will be mounting week after week. You're going to see God clearly chooses you and me. He chooses us. But the question before us is, am I choosing God? Am I choosing God? He chooses me, but am I choosing God every single day? Am I choosing to say, okay, God, direct my path. Okay, God, send me where you want me to go. Okay, God, help me to say what I need to say and do what I need to do and be who I need to be. Am I doing that every day? Because if I'm chosen, it's for a purpose. And we'll get into that a little bit more next week, but I want you to think about this. As we close out our time this morning, how am I responding to God? I think there probably are a few in this room who yet have never said yes to Jesus. You, you're, you know the stories, you're getting closer to making a decision for Christ, but you've never made one yet. You're not unlike many other people, one of whom was a professor in Beijing, China. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, I, I can't pronounce the rest of his name, so I'm just going to call him Professor Bai. His name is much bigger than that, but we'll call him that, B-A-I. True story, he was a professor at a major university in Beijing at the time of the Tiananmen Square events. Remember this, the students rising up against communism and uh, against the authoritarianism of the Chinese regime. And he was a non-Christian but a professor who loved his students very much. And um, Professor Bai had chosen to try to keep the students from going to Tiananmen Square because he, he foresaw, he believed a massacre was coming. He was right. And so there was only one way off of the grounds where the university is, one gate. And Professor Bai went and he lay down across this opening and he said to any students that tried to leave to go to that protest, he said, if you step over me, you dishonor me. And out of respect for him, especially in a culture that prides respect so much, most of the students stayed. Sadly, a few that didn't choose that were massacred in the Tiananmen Square massacre. He was beloved by his students, and that event and others made him increasingly critical of what was happening in the government around him. And so as a professor, in one of his lectures one day, he 
made a criticism, kind of almost offhanded as a joke, about the Communist Party. And within 24 hours, this prestigious professor who was beloved by students, popular in his community, renowned in his field, was taken from his classroom. He was put into a prison in a land, a province of, Asia he had never, of China he had never been to before. And the prison that he was in was a very interesting place. It was designed to make people despair of life. There were bars over the windows of the first three or four floors, but from about the fourth floor on, there were no, window, no bars and no windows, just open space. And the idea was simple. If you want to jump out and end your life, go right ahead. He was at the very top. He looked out the window, and he despaired. And he writes, his despairing was partly because he didn't think he had the courage to jump out the window. So he collapsed on the floor. And as he was on the floor in the middle of the room, He sensed a calling to reflect on his life. And so he started going back through events. And he remembered an odd encounter with an American professor who he had met at a consortium. The conversation had turned to culture and religion. And the professor had said something unusual. He, had, he was talking about his life, and he had told Professor Bai about his tradition. He said, well, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's made all the difference in my life. And um, he freed me from some things that were holding me back. And Professor Bai thought a lot about what he had heard in that conversation Jesus Christ, who sets us free. And he began to have his first conversations with God and with Jesus Christ. And although he didn't know a whole lot, hadn't read the Bible, didn't know a whole lot, he just knew a Christian who had told him about Jesus. That's all he really knew. And not much of that. But there, in the despair of his cell, he began to cry out to Jesus for help. Oh, Jesus, help me. Set me free. Professor Bai experienced something in that moment when he called the name of Jesus. He discovered Jesus was there. He said he felt a presence he had never felt before. Jesus. He said something welled up inside of him. He didn't really know how it wasn't his nature to do this, but there in the communist prison in the middle of nowhere, he stood up and he began to shout out in Chinese, Jesus is Lord. He just kept shouting, Jesus is Lord. He couldn't stop himself. They came in and they beat him up, tried to pummel him, and there, beaten and bruised the floor, all he could keep saying is, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And in that moment, he had chosen Jesus and he knew Jesus had chosen him. And the reason that I can tell you this story is because Jesus eventually does set Professor By free.
And he has become a great witness in China for Jesus. God had chosen Professor Bai from the moment he was conceived in the womb. And the moment that Professor Bai chose Jesus, everything in his life changed. (coughs) Friends, I want for you to choose Jesus. God has chosen every one of us. The words of John 3.16 are universal. For God so loved the whole world, he gave his son. Everybody has the opportunity. But God has given us choice, hasn't he? And he asks us, will you choose me in return? If you've not made that choice, this is the day you need to make it. For most of us in this room, we made that choice. We said yes to Jesus. But I think over time, even in the presence of God every day, like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves making wrong choices. We find ourselves not choosing God every day. We choose ourselves, or we choose security, or we choose simplicity or easiness. We don't always choose the thing God's calling us to. So Christian or not, I encourage you today to ask yourself this question. Did God choose me? And am I choosing God every day? If you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make the decision Professor Bai made and that millions others have made. Choose Jesus today and receive everlasting life, forgiveness of your sins, and the indwelling of God's Spirit. Make your choice as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.